The following message was given by Tim Abbott on Sunday, August 5th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. My name is Tim. I am one of the pastors uh, here at Redemption Hill. Uh, if you have been with us the past few weeks, you have heard as, as Robert has taken us through a look at, at trying to understand the shame that we all deal with and what it looks like to see God replace that shame with honor to save us from that shame and restore those parts of our hearts and, and, and lives. Um, as, so as we continue in this series, part of what God has done and is continuing to do in my own life is to help me see that when, when you rightly understand all that God has done and is doing for you, then that will result in you thinking rightly about yourself and others. We want and need God to remove that shame, that, to remove that guilt. We want and need God to heal the anxiety and fear that we deal with. But removing those things from our life doesn't necessarily mean that we will then think rightly about ourselves. In my own life, as much as I believed that I needed to be saved, as, as much as I wanted to be set free from the anxiety and fear that had hold of me, there was a part of me that believed that, that after he saved us, he just lets us go to figure it out, uh, everything else on our own. That's, that's how I practically lived out the Christian life, that it was entirely up to me now, and that I either disappointed or pleased God over and over again every day. I needed the gospel to be saved. I needed God's grace to be redeemed, but then I needed to figure out the rest through my best efforts and my, my own ability, which has led me in many parts of my life to swing between thinking too highly of myself or feeling worthless or hopeless. And God has used Romans chapter 12 to help me understand that believing the gospel leads us to think rightly about who God has made us to be. So let's read together from Romans uh, chapter 12, starting in verse 1 and going through verse 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So, though, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank, you, thank you so much for that uh, truly amazing grace uh, that, you, that you pour out on us. Thank you uh, that, that you uh, come into this, you sent your son into this world um, to, to save us, to redeem us so that we could know you, so that we could have life. Um, I pray that we would see this morning what that actually means uh, to, to, to our hearts and lives, how we can actually move forward in the confidence and humility that, that you alone can, can produce in, in us. I pray that you would turn our eyes, that you would fix our, our eyes on, on Christ this morning, that we would put our attention and heart fully on him, and then we would walk out of here and live in light of those things. Uh, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Um, so for those of you who are new uh, or haven't been here for the last few weeks, we are in the middle of uh, what we are calling the, the mixtape series for the summer. You are hearing a number of different pastors speak about how God has used God's Word to, to transform their lives. I know Robert and, and Ray specifically have shared a little bit about their experiences with mixtapes. Um, I never actually got a mixtape when I was a kid. Uh, yes, you can, you can feel sorry for me. Um, I'm really hopeful that someone will make me one after I confess that. Uh, but when I was 15, I, I, I got my first single on a cassette tape. It was a, it was a huge moment for me. It was Boys to Men. Uh, so, some, of you, some of you won't know Boys to Men, and that is, that is sad for you. Um, uh, the, the song was End of the Road. It was number one for 13 straight weeks. It was an amazing song. My wife and I were meeting with a young couple uh, a couple years ago. I, I won't name the couple. I don't think they're here, but in case they are, uh, they, they were a newly married couple. And, and while we were meeting together, we were watching something on TV, and a commercial came on, and there was Boys to Men. Hadn't seen them in, in years. It was an Old Navy commercial, and they were singing some weird jingle, and, and we just freaked out. We were so excited. And the young couple looked at us like, like we were kind of out of it. You know, what, what are they doing? And so we asked them, do you guys, do you guys know who Boys to Men are? Now, there's acceptable answers. We didn't really expect them to know who Boys to Men were. Uh, there's acceptable answers to that. They could have said, no, that's, that's before our time, not sure who they are, never heard of them. Uh, but instead, they came back with, I think I bought one of their CDs from my grandma for Christmas one year. <laughs> now, that, that just hurt. That, because it's boys to men. I mean, they're, they're incredible. That, that hurt a little bit. But that was my first cassette tape. Uh, around that same time, I was informed by a friend of mine at school that a girl named Cindy Witt liked me and wanted, to, wanted me to ask her out. I had never talked to this girl. I didn't, I didn't know her. And I had never been on a date before. But I started feeling pretty good about myself once I found that out. And over the next couple of days, uh, I found the courage to ask her out. I started to think pretty highly of myself. While I, while I thought through and walked through all the things that she must have seen me do and been impressed by that had led her to put it out there, that she was hopeful that someone like me would ask her out. So by the time I actually asked her out, I was, I was a little overconfident. I was feeling, I was feeling all, all too good. And so one day I saw her and, and caught up with her wa walking after school. And, and I built up my confidence and as confidently as I could without being too cocky and letting her know that I, I knew she wanted me to ask her out, I asked her out. And when I finished, she stopped walking and looked at me with a look that I can only describe as astonished and confused, uh, which I assumed meant she was so overwhelmed that someone like me would ask her out that she just didn't know what to say. I was wrong. So, so after a few seconds of that confused look, she answered me with two simple words. With you? Yeah, yeah, that's harsh. Not with you. With you? It, it, it hurt. But the way, she, the way she asked, it wasn't a rhetorical question and she wasn't making fun of me, which meant I actually had to answer the question. She was genuinely wondering, am I the one asking her out, even though I just asked her out? So I came back with, yeah, um, that's the best I could do. You see, it turns out my friend, who was a good friend, but wasn't very smart had, and had bad intel, uh, she actually wanted to date my best friend. And she thought that I had come to ask her for him. 
Uh, but, but please don't feel sorry for me. I, guys, if, it, if you get turned down, pick yourself right back up. I did, and, and, and five years later, I asked someone else out. So you can, you can do it. So, so, so ladies, don't, don't think you're destroying anybody's confidence. We, we're, we're strong and resilient. Uh, right after that, I went home after, after my humiliation, and I played that end-of-the-road cassette ta- tape. Uh, I played it a lot. Uh, here, here's, the, here's the lyrics. Although, I won't sing it, although we've come to the end of the road, still I can't let go. It's unnatural. You belong to me and I belong to you. It didn't make any sense. This didn't apply to what we were talking about. We hadn't gone out. I didn't even know her. But in my mind, this was big. This was the end of the road for me and Cindy Witt. Uh, You see, for me, while that's a bit extreme, much of my adult life, I have swung to the extremes of feeling either way too highly of myself or very lowly of myself, completely devoid of, of any real value. Maybe you don't swing wildly between those two things, but more than likely you spend too much time living in one of them. Whichever one you most easily fall into, we all need to see and be reminded that seeing Christ and believing all that He has done for you is the only way for you to really truly think rightly about yourself and to think rightly about others. You see, the gospel doesn't produce pride or superiority. It produces confidence in Christ. And the gospel doesn't produce worthlessness or inferiority. It produces humility modeled after Christ. You will not think too highly of yourself, but you will think accurately. You will think rightly about yourself. In my life, the way this plays out the most, these feelings come out most often in relation to my, to my work and, and my family. I'm a very accomplishment-driven person, as I'm sure many of you are. And while there is a good sense of accomplishment, there's a right way to view the work that we do, I have often found my self-worth wrapped up in how well I do at various tasks. If I do well in my job, if I accomplish something significant, if I accomplish something that I can talk to people about and tell stories about, um, then I think very highly of myself. If I feel like I'm just nailing it as a husband and father, then I feel great about myself. I feel better about myself. If I fail at something, or even if I just have a normal week where nothing significant happens, then I start to get down on myself. I start to feel like a failure. I start to think of myself as inferior to those around me that I believe must be doing all of those things. Uh, For those of you who who think too highly of yourself, uh, that think that you are better than others around you, think that you are the primary reason that your life is going so well and you're accomplishing so much, then you have not understood the depths and riches and beauty of the gospel. Listen, you you have nothing to boast in. All you are, all you have, all of your gifts, all of your abilities are a gift from God. That means it isn't your greatness that has led to your success, but it is the grace of God. Paul starts here with the grace of God. We're going to spend most of our time uh, right in verse 3, Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Um, so just, just put your eyes there and we'll stick there. Paul starts in, in on this by saying, for by the grace given to me. Paul wants you to know from the beginning that even the fact that he is saying these words is because of the grace of God. It's not because he's amazing. It's not because he's better than them. It's not because he's mastered this and always thinks of himself perfectly humbly. It is, it is because of the grace of God that was given to him. And then he says uh, to, to everyone among you. Why does he say to everyone among you? 
because we are all prone to do this. We are all prone to let pride come into our life. This is something we're not even often aware of, but it seeps in. It's something that grabs hold of us, and, and we easily think of ourselves as better than some of those around us. It, it, it becomes a part of who we are. As, as, as uh, Raymond talked about a few weeks ago, um, we, can, we can find ourselves considering ourselves more than we consider others, so we can think of ourselves more than we think of others. But there's so many ways to get this wrong. Some of us don't really consider others in this. We just think very, very highly of ourselves. And, and, and for others, we, as Christians, we often know that we should be humble and we try to do things humbly and, and we end up thinking pridefully that we are very good at humility. There's so many ways to get this wrong. Pride is one of those things that you, you believe you can kind of get away with as long as it doesn't completely take hold of you. As long as it's not bad as, as, as the other guy, the, the, the person who is really prideful, then, then we're fine. But even in our humility, we are often filled with pride. William Cowper, who was an 18th century poet and hymn writer, once wrote this. It's beautiful. When I would speak what you have done to save me from my sin, I cannot make your mercy known, but self-applause creeps in. Um, even in making known the mercies of God, even in telling people of the greatness of God and what he's done for us, self-applause and patting ourselves on the back and pride can seep in. Uh, even in talking about all that God has done for us, we end up focusing on ourselves and, and applauding ourselves, thinking pridefully about how well we did at telling others about what God has done. So then what is the cure to this problem? Is the answer as, as simple as just stop being so prideful. Just, just be humble. Humble yourselves. We hear those words a lot. Humble yourselves. It is, it is too ingrained in us. It is seeped in too much into different parts of our lives and comes out so easily to just simply be a matter of willpower. We will often fail to see that we are thinking too highly of ourselves. We will often fail to see the pride that has taken hold of our life. No, the answer is, is that every day, we, we take our eyes off of ourselves and we keep them fixed on Christ and what he has done for us. The only way that we can actually think rightly about ourselves is by taking our, our eyes off of ourselves and off of others and fixing them squarely on Christ and what he has done for us. Um, here's how the author of Hebrews tells this answer. This is Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 3. It says this beautifully. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out uh, for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The way that we throw off pride, the way that we throw off things that so easily take hold of us, that so easily entangle us, the, the way we throw off thinking that we're better than others is, is to fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the author, he is the perfecter of our faith. Uh, the 20th century pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, if we only spent more of our time looking at Christ then we, would sh then we should soon forget ourselves. You see, if we have our eyes fixed on something that is infinitely greater than ourselves, then we won't start looking around at others, worrying about whether or not we're better than them. 
whether or not they're better than us. If we are looking at something that is infinitely greater than ourselves, then, then we won't sit around worrying about who's better than I am and who, I am, who am I better than. Um, I, I, I love basketball. I, I, I don't love it because I'm really good at basketball. I know some of you were sitting there thinking, man, I, I bet that guy is really good at basketball. So I want to clear that up. I, I am, but that's not why I love it. I love, I love watching basketball. When I was a kid, I wanted to be Michael Jordan. I still remember very clearly at 13, watching the Chicago Bulls win their first championship over Magic Johnson and the Lakers. Uh, I, I remember it clearly. We had one of those TVs that sat on, on the ground, and my face was covered in poison ivy. Uh, and so I had, to, I had to lay on the ground with, with washcloths just covered on, on my face, so I couldn't actually see it. Um, but, but there was this one play that they played probably 10 times during the game when it happened, and it will be played for another 100 years, where Jordan going to the basket goes up and has, has a pretty clear angle at the basket. He's going to make the shot, but in midair, he just switches hands to this, just, just in the midst of it. He just hangs up there forever and then lays it up. It was the most amazing thing, and I watched that shot, and, and I tried to recreate that shot in my parents' kitchen. Uh, over and over again. I, I put a bucket hanging on a kitchen cabinet and I had a tennis ball and I never could do it. It was a bucket and a tennis ball and I still couldn't do what he did. I was amazed at what he was able to accomplish. And as I watched Jordan and the Bulls six times take down other amazing gifted players and teams, when I watched today LeBron James, Kevin Durant, and Steph Curry go, go up against each other for the championship, I, I am never sitting there thinking, man, I'm awesome. I'm never sitting there thinking about the other people around me, thinking I am so much better than these people. Why? Because I'm focused on something that is truly great. I, I'm, I'm watching as, as they make these unbelievable plays again and again. They work together in such unity. I'm watching it all, what they are able to do and accomplish, because they are infinitely greater than I am at basketball, and that is not an exaggeration. Uh, if, you have, if you have your eyes fixed on Christ, then you have your eyes fixed on something that is infinitely greater than we are. You aren't sitting around thinking about your greatness, how much you've accomplished, how you've done so much. If your eyes are fixed on Christ, trusting and believing in the gospel, then you begin to walk in true humility that sees God as the source of all good things and all of your life as a gift of the grace of God. Um, this, this, uh, this parable has helped me understand this. This is uh, Christ talking. It's Luke chapter 18. You can turn there if you want to. Um, Luke chapter 18. It's verses 9 through 14. Christ is telling a parable about a Pharisee, the religious leader of that time that everybody knows is just synonymous with hypocrisy, uh, and a tax collector who many people viewed as, as, as the worst kind of person at the time, maybe the one person worse than a, than a Pharisee. This is Luke chapter 18, and this is Christ telling this parable. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, so this is to those who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on others. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be, will be exalted. Now, 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 now listen, this is, this is one of those things. Just understand that the Pharisee is, is even giving God thanks for this. But, but, but Christ says he did not go home justified because he is exalting himself against others. Some of you are, are the Pharisee in the story. You're thinking way too highly of yourself. And you're looking around at others and thinking, those guys are really bad. They do really bad things. I'm so thankful that I'm not that bad. I, I know no one wants to identify, especially in the church, with a Pharisee. But some of us do. And we need to acknowledge that and, and, and what is inside of us and then repent and confess that to God. But that's, that's, not, that's not me most of the time. I'm not the Pharisee in, this, in the story. I wish I could say that I'm, I'm always the tax collector, humbly crying out to God. But that's often not me either. I'm, I'm the third guy. There is no third guy in the story, so don't, don't be confused. Uh, but if there was a third guy, I'm that third guy. I'm the guy to the side of these two. And I'm looking at the Pharisee and saying, how awful is that guy? So full of himself, so prideful. God, I am so glad that you didn't make me like that Pharisee prideful, arrogant. Let me just wander over next to that tax collector so everyone can see how humble we are and how awful that Pharisee is. You see, for me, the, the, the people that I get most prideful towards um, are people that I sense their pride. I, I, my, my pride comes out when I feel like somebody is, is prideful towards me or towards others. Um, I, I, that it's, my only, it's my only response, it's my only weapon against their pride because I just hate it so much. And, and I feel justified by it because you were prideful first, so I can do whatever I want to now. Like you were the one who did it, so I'm completely free. And, and, and it, that is just my pride speaking. I've got a pride detector and it is very sensitive and it is my own pride. C.S. Lewis, the famous author, put it this way. The more pride one has, the more one dislikes pride in others. In fact, if you want to find out how proud you are, the easiest way is to ask yourself, how much do I dislike it when other people snub me, or refuse to take any notice of me, or patronize me, or show off? Each person's pride is in competition with everyone else's pride. I, I, this is one of those things that's difficult for me to understand because he, he says, the, you know, the more pride you have, the more you dislike it in others. It seems like it's natural to dislike pride in, in, in other people. But in reality, it is, it is a sin like any other sin. It is something that takes hold of us like anything else could. And, and we should desperately long for their good and, 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 and for them to turn away from those things. But instead, we just respond with pride. Our pride riles up and we, we feel it coming out towards them. I hear pastors and Christians sometimes talk about Peter in the Bible. You know Peter? Uh, Peter is the, the super impulsive, never think about what he's, he's, he's doing, act first, type A uh, apostle. He's the one that's following after Jesus that, that a lot of pastors see and say, yes, that's, that's, that's helpful that he's in there. He's the first one to jump in the water when, when Jesus is walking on the water. He's the guy to cut somebody's ear off when, when someone is coming after Jesus. And I hear those pastors talk about him and say, I can really relate to Peter. I'm, I, I feel like I'm a Peter. I, I'm so glad Peter's in the Bible. And all I can think is, I, I really wouldn't have liked Peter if I, if I had known him. Uh, I would have been the apostle in the, in the boat that when Peter jumps into the water with Jesus and walks on water, was thinking, why does Peter always have to do this? Why is he, why is he always showing off? Why does he have to be first? Why does he think he's so special? All the while not willing to step out myself into the water and my eyes fixed on Peter and not Jesus. 
when our hearts and our eyes are fixed on ourselves and others around us, it is impossible for us to not think too highly or too lowly of ourselves. The tax collector had, had, his, had his eyes and his heart turned towards heaven. He wouldn't even look up. His heart was turned towards heaven. Colossians 3.2 reminds us that we are to set our minds on things above. Lewis put it this way, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Uh, Paul, Paul has done an amazing job up to this point in the book of Romans, in the letter to the Romans. There's been 11 chapters before this, and he's done an amazing job, a remarkable job of reminding us just how desperate our situation is, how we have all sinned, how we were all lost, how we loved the darkness, how we were unable to save ourselves, and how God has done so much to redeem us, to make us his people, to unite us together with his, with his son. And after he's done that for 11 chapters, for so long, after all that has been said about our desperate situation, he still feels like he needs to remind us to not think too highly of ourselves. The natural outflow of what he gives us in those first 11 chapters should simply be humility and falling on our face and saying, man, we have nothing to boast about. We have nothing to brag about. But he feels like immediately he has, has to address it. This is how messed up the human heart really is. This is how wrong we get this. The fact that these, this even has to be said, the fact that those who believe in Christ, believe in the cross, have to be reminded not to think too highly of yourself shows just how sinful we truly are. That we can believe that God himself sent his son into the world and was crucified on a cross because of our sin, because he loved us so much, and we can walk away thinking, I'm, I'm pretty awesome. I've accomplished so much. God is so fortunate that, that I am a part of his family, that we can look in the face of Christ knowing he did this because of my sin and still walk around proudly, arrogantly, believing we are superior or better than any other person means that we don't actually grasp what the gospel means. Uh, Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. He says, who made you superior to anyone? Everything that you have is, is a gift. Everything that you've received is a gift. All of your life is a gift. Turn over to, to uh, Psalm chapter 8. Uh, this is David. He's, he's, he's singing out uh, to God. He is he is taking in all of God's uh, creation. And, and this has really helped me understand this, what, what our response truly should be. Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. He has seen the majesty of God in his creation. And in verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 8, he says this, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? When David looked at the heavens, when David looked at God's work, his response was, if you made all of this, why do you care about me? If this is what you're capable of, why, why would you even bother with me? Why would you even have a thought about me? He didn't look at all of that and say, yeah, sun, moon, stars, and me, they are all truly great. He looked at it and said, what do you, how are you even mindful of me? How do you even have a thought with, with you? We look at the cross 
And we should rem be reminded that none of us could make this happen on our own. It is, it is a precious gift that God has loved us so richly. There's an old hymn written by Isaac Watts that starts this way. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. When we see the cross, when we see God and we see how he works, then, then our only real response is to pour contempt on every bit of pride that we could possibly have. The amazing thing in, in all of this, when we're trying to work it out, when we're trying to figure out how to be humble, the amazing thing is that, is that Christ died on the cross for that pride that keeps you from truly treasuring him, truly seeing him as, as, as glorious as he truly is. Christ died on the cross for that pride. Even that pride that you hang on to is something that Christ came to save you from. So there is hope, and that hope is not in your ability to stay humble or to make ourselves humble. The hope is Christ crucified. The hope is Christ in us. The hope is, is fixing our eyes on Christ and what he has done. It's a little bit more nuanced and, and feels more difficult for those of you who think too lowly of yourself. Um, if you feel inferior to those around you, even that phrase, feel too lowly of yourself, just doesn't sound like it's a bad thing. It doesn't sound like if, if we get there that that's, that, that's bad at all. Um, if you feel like you don't have any worth, if you feel like everyone around you is better than you are, then, then you have not fully grasped and, and believed and treasured the beauty of the gospel. We are told in the second part of this verse, in Romans 12, 3, Think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Think rightly about yourself, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Thinking rightly is not letting others' opinion of, how, of, uh, of you drive how you think about yourself. It's also not letting your own view of you drive how you think about yourself. Uh, we can get this wrong. I am often very concerned with what people think about me. I, and at the same time, I try very hard not to care about what people think about me. The normal answer in, in, in the world when we, when we are thinking too much and caring too much about what others think, the, the normal answer when we are trying to find our identity in what others think about us is, is that it doesn't matter what they think. It, it doesn't matter what, what they think about you. It matters what you think about yourself. Um, and, and as good as that might sound, there's too many times where I know I don't, I don't like myself very much for, for a number of reasons. There's, uh, there's too many times where I find myself disappointed in myself. So what if you don't like yourself? What if you feel like you failed yourself? What if you can't live up to your own hopes and dreams and expectations of yourself? So, so we are told here to think with sober judgment or to think rightly about ourselves. And then he shows us how. You think rightly by thinking according to the faith that God himself has given you. When, when he says here that according to the measure of the faith, that's not, that doesn't mean that he's, he's given everybody a different amount of faith, that, that everybody gets a little bit or a lot or, or just a different amount. What he's saying here, Tim Keller puts it this way, that Paul is saying, all of you have been given your saving faith in Christ, and that is how you are to measure yourself. All of you have been given your saving faith in Christ, and that is the way that you measure yourself. So the first way we start thinking of ourselves rightly is through the lens of what Christ has done for us. We measure ourselves by the faith that God has given us. It is, it is so easy to feel justified in thinking too lowly of ourselves. We, we, we know we don't want to feel that way. We, we think it might be wrong. 
uh, but, but yet we feel like it's, it's pretty much okay. I've often asked people in groups and individually, do you tend to pat yourself on the back too much or do you beat yourself up too much? Do you tear yourself down too much? Almost universally, people say, yeah, I tear myself down way too much. I beat myself up too much. And at least in part, I believe that is, that is true for most people. But there is also an element that out of the two options, that's just much more acceptable. Pride is just the worst, but thinking too little of ourselves is almost endearing. It's almost something we just want to hug it out and say, no, you're great, and, and send each other on their way. Um, Ray did a wonderful job of applying Philippians 2 verse 3 a few weeks ago. If you haven't heard it, I would encourage you to go to our website and listen to it. Philippians 2.3 says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It is natural for some of us to, to hear a verse that says, count others more significant than yourself, and to feel like we're right, to feel justified in thinking, I really am the worst. Everyone is better than me. There is nothing good about me. It, it doesn't say that here. It, it says, in humility, consider others as more significant than yourself. It also says to have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Christ didn't go around feeling inferior to everyone around him. He didn't go around thinking there was nothing good about it. But he humbled himself and he took on the form of a servant and he became obedient to his father's will. He, he found out what his, his, his father's will was. He decided to do it and he, he, he became obedient to the point of death on a cross and he gave himself for the sake of others. Uh, that's what his humility led him to do. That is what considering others as better than yourself will, will have you do. It will have you seek after God, seek after his will, and then give yourself for the sake of others. But it doesn't lead you to think nothing of yourself, to think completely lowly of yourself. His humility led him to action, and that action was to do the will of his Father and give himself for the sake of his people. We come to Christ often when we, when we understand Christ for the first time in salvation. We come to him believing rightfully that there is nothing we can do to earn our salvation. We come to him rightfully thinking there is nothing we can do to add to our salvation. We are completely needy, and God is completely sufficient to save us. Uh, that, is, that is true. Some of you who deal with thinking too highly of yourself think, of course God can save me. Of course God wants to save me. Of course God can use me. I'm awesome. The rest of you are left thinking most of your life, there's nothing good about me. God can't possibly use me. God will hopefully keep doing his work. Hopefully he will accomplish his mission, but it won't be because of anything I do. If you believe that God has made you, saved you, but you still believe that you are inferior to those around you, you believe that you can't be used by God in his mission, you believe that you can't be used by God in his church, then you don't understand how great God truly is and you don't understand how God sees you. You don't understand who you truly are, who he has made you to be. Your own insecurity, your own inferiority has clouded your vision from seeing the greatness of God. You believe that your weaknesses are too vast even for the power of God. The, the same power that raised Christ from the dead can't possibly take how weak you are and turn it into something strong. The same power that raised Christ from the dead and has, has saved his people again and again can't possibly take 
your weaknesses and, and use it for his good in, in his church and for his kingdom and for his mission. That's, that's how we think about those things. You have put too much focus on your weakness and, and, and your inferiority. Um, God wants to take that weakness and turn it into strength. Your failures, your weaknesses are not greater than the power of God. And you need to hear that and you need to believe it. You are not a mistake in God's plan. You aren't the one who accidentally slipped into the family of God. God chose you. He saved you. And he has formed a plan to use you. He has plans for you. God built this into his plan. If you feel weak, needy, helpless, God chose you to use you to become your strength, to accomplish his mission and his purpose. He chose you intentionally. He, he isn't the boss that is looking at you thinking that he was sure you were going to be great at this job when he hired you, and then you just never really fulfilled that potential. Um, I might make my wife mad by saying this. We'll find out. She's here. Um, uh, we are big Jurassic Park fans. Uh, Bioengineered dinosaurs on an island wreaking havoc in an amusement park is right up our alley. Uh, she, she won't care that I tell you that we love those movies. She's, she's very proud of it. Uh, but what I say about the movies, she might make her mad. Uh, so we went to see the newest Jurassic World. We were there opening night. We got a babysitter, uh, spent, you know, however, 25 bucks to, to, to go see it. Uh, we were excited. And there was basically no way that this was not going to be good. I mean, everybody there had their Jurassic Park t-shirts on. It was awesome. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was perfect. And, I, and, and as, as the movie happened, as the movie unfolded, I kept thinking the whole time, it's, it's not been great, but, but I know it's going to get better. I, I, right up until the end, I'm like, surely there's going to be something that happens that, that just changes this and makes me think that this movie was awesome. And then it ended, and it was over. And, and it, felt like, it felt like it was definitely going to be good. We had hoped, we had believed, and it just wasn't. It was, it was weird, and it was complex. I'm sorry if you're a fan of that. I'm sorry to my wife. Uh, some of you think that that's you in the church. Some of you think that's you in the Christian life. That God is, is watching your life saying, I know this is just going to get better. I, I, I know at some point they're going to do something that makes me feel good that I chose them. And, and then it just never happens. And you think that God must have misjudged you. That, that he misjudged how good you would be at the Christian life, how much you could actually help in the church, how, how much you could help in the mission. God has always been planning for people like you and me. Paul, in writing to the Corinthian church, says it this way. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26. You can turn there. Uh, we'll, we'll read a little bit of it. Um, you might be familiar with this passage, but it is, it is powerful and helps us understand exactly what God is doing. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being may, might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the, in the Lord. He chose 
foolish, weak, lowly people. He knows who you are. He knows who you were. He knows who you are right now. He knows, he knows who you were going to be. He knows your weaknesses. He knows that you don't feel adequate. And yet somehow he chose you very specifically. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. And he has become to you wisdom, redemption, righteousness, and sanctification. You need to know that, yes, we are all needy, helpless sinners who rejected God. But you also need to know that what it actually means when God saves you. How he now sees you. Who does God say that you are? And let that determine how you think about yourself. 1 Peter chapter 2 puts it this way. Uh, the Bible has such rich language to describe how God, sees his, uh, how God sees his people. And that needs to be the thing that determines how you see yourself. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is, this is not simply to puff up your self-esteem. This is to remind you to think soberly and rightly about yourself, to keep your eyes fixed on Christ, and then he will remind you of who you are, and you can move forward in the confidence that you have been made a part of God's family. You have been made a saint. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and you are a people that belongs to God. And that is a, a, is a work of the amazing grace of God. God has called you out and he wants you to proclaim the, the wonderful praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And we don't want to let the, the feelings that we have of feeling weak and helpless and needy and worthless deter us and prevent us from being able to sing out those praises of how great God is. We think that we don't have any value, but in, in truth, God himself has put the value into us. He has valued us, and that makes us wonderful and valuable to him. And that should be the thing that we turn to and, and remind ourselves of and be, be reminded of in, in God's word. We don't have a lot of time to talk about this this much. Um, but, but Romans chapter 12 there goes on to talk about the gifts that God has, has given us. And this is, this is a really unique way of, of how God shows how important and valuable we are. We, we have been given gifts specifically to be used by, by, by him uh, in, in his church. And we should, we should value that. That should be something that is important to us. We should understand that. Uh, verse 6 of Romans chapter 12 says this wonderful phrase, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If, if you believe and trust in God, then God has graciously given you gifts that are meant to be used, that there's a need for them. If, if God has given a, a gift, he's not doing that just, just, just for fun or to keep us busy. He's not giving us busy work. Um, there's actual needs. We are needy people that, that need things. And so, so whatever God has put a gift out there for, it means that there is someone who needs that gift. 
In, in fact, we all need that gift. Everything that we're called to do for other people in the Bible, so many times I see those things and I hear about the one another's and I think, yes, these are the things that I need to do for other people. But all of those things are things that we need done for us. They are things that we, we have to have in our lives. And so we need people that, that are having those gifts that God has set out, that, that, that are seeing those gifts that God has put in your life and that are utilizing them and using them in the life of the church, to, to build up the church, to, to, to strengthen the people uh, around us. Um, he, he doesn't just give us these things for no reason. It, it, the, the, this means that you are valuable, that you are important, and that you are needed in the life of a church. For us as a church to be all that God desires us to be, the book of Ephesians describes it like this when he's talking about the gifts and how we're using them. Uh, for us as a church to be all that God desires us to be, uh, the, the church is described as a growing in unity and becoming mature into the fullness of, of Christ. That is what our goal is. That is what our desire is. And to do that rightly, we need to be using our gifts. But to, to, do, to do that rightly, we need to be seeing those things that God has gifted us and move forward with confidence that we can use this and God can use this in the life of his church. Uh, we don't need to limit one another by thinking too highly of ourselves and our gifts. And, and our contribution to the church are thinking too lowly and not even trying to use the gifts that God has given us. God has given each of you gifts, and that is an amazing work of the grace of God. What is, what is our right response then to that grace? How do we think rightly of ourselves and move forward doing that? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10 says it well. This has become one of my favorite verses in the Bible. This is Paul talking, and he is talking right after he has talked about uh, I have delivered to you of, of what is of utmost importance, what is of first importance. Um, and he talks about the gospel, how, how God sent his son into the world, and he lived and he died and he's been resurrected, and that means life for us. And then he says this, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than anyone, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. We turn our eyes to Christ. And know that, that, that all we are is because of His grace. And the right response to that is, is to move forward confidently, working hard for His sake, to proclaim the excellencies of what He's done, to proclaim the praises of all that He has done. We use the gifts that God has given us to do the things that He has called us to do. And, and then know that even the strength and the desire to do that is the grace of God working in us. So it, we have no reason to boast in any of that. But we turn our attention and we boast only in Christ. God has, has, has saved us. He has redeemed us. He has come into this world so that we could, we could know Him. And, and in that, then we can find that perfect confidence and humility that can only be produced in Him. We are in desperate need of it. We cannot find this in ourselves. In ourselves, we will think too highly or too lowly of ourselves. But, but in Him, we can, we can find what, what life in Christ is truly meant to be. We can find who we truly are. He can determine for us how we think about ourselves and how we see others. And so we look out and we see people and we don't see them anymore as competition. 
We don't see them anymore as people that we think are better than us or that think that, 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 that we're better than them. We don't see them that way. What we see is, is people who are needy, and we know that God has a plan for them. We know that God desires for them to be saved, and so, so we work towards that, that great end. The wonderful thing, when we set our attention and we set our hearts and, our, and fix our eyes on Christ, is that He doesn't just simply keep it there, but then He turns our gaze back to one another. He turns our gaze back to the others around us and allows them to see all, all of them and all of ourselves in light of who He is and what He has done. And that is glorious and that is wonderful. And that will change how we interact with other people. That will change how we view ourselves. Uh, again and again, if we see all of life as a gift and a grace of, of God, then, then we will see everyone else and we will, we will just be strengthened and empowered and we will not grow weary and lose heart as, as we work to proclaim how great God is in our lives. We will not do that with, with the wrong intentions or the, the wrong motivations. We will do that because of what God has done in us. Um, Father, we, 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 we come to you and thank you for the power and, and the weight of your word. Uh, we thank you that there isn't a day that goes by that we don't need to be reminded of your grace. To be reminded of the cross, I pray, Father, that you would make us think rightly about ourselves, that we would think rightly about others, that our understanding of our own limitations, where we lack and where we lack power, uh, but we would think about who you have made us. Let us marvel at the fact that you have chosen us. You have made us a people, and you desire to use us in the work that you have. Help us, help us to know and understand and acknowledge our weaknesses. Let us be quick to confess our sins, but ignite a passion in us to use the gifts that you have graciously given us to build up those around us, to encourage, to practically love those that need it today, to help us to acknowledge and make much of others, help us to set our minds on things above, help us to be serious about the relentless pursuit of knowing you and the power of your resurrection, and let us cast off everything that would keep us from running after you. Give us confidence in you, confidence in your grace, confidence in the cross. Let, us, let, us, let that produce humility that only you can, can produce in us, that you have laid out for us. It is in the beautiful name of Christ that I pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Tim Abbott given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.